Hey, everybody, this is KJ Kearney. You can find me at Black Food Fridays. I'm here with my co-host, the wonderful, well-traveled Anella Malik of Feed the Malik. You are hey, listening. Sam. Oh, there you go. There you go. You're listening to the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. And this is going to be a quick and dirty episode because there's not too much to say that hasn't already been said, but we felt like it needed to be said, just in case you are not familiar with some of the atrocities that happen as it relates to how mass media produces images and 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 creates these false narratives around black food waste. So Anella, let the people know what we're going to be talking about and you can go ahead and start off with your thoughts. Okay, so we will put these article links in the show notes, but there's been a few articles recently, but they're not new, right? That talk about the Mediterranean diet and how great it is for health. And that's been studied and right, it does seem to have a positive impact on health outcomes. But in contrast, the Mediterranean diet is, is the, portrayed in food media and health media as, you know, the antithesis to this unhealthy, life-ending Southern diet. So the, the Southern diet is viewed as a I don't know, as like the nemesis of our well-being, right? Right. And it's right. portrayed as this kind of like fat-laden, deep fried, backwards, um, et cetera, diet that leads to death. <laughs> and I know that a lot of this is hyperbolic because of the nature of um food and health media, right? I think that a lot of it is it's because of headlines, right? We need headlines to grab attention. We need people to click on them. And so then that leads to these kind of like very divisive views. But there's a couple things that I think these articles miss. First and foremost is that yes, diet is a big part of health, but so is so many other things, right? So access to healthcare, socioeconomic class, the availability of health insurance, but also of culturally appropriate and accessible healthcare providers, all like all of these varied factors, pollution, environmental pollution, those have impacts on health outcomes. And when we're talking about an entire region <laughs> like the South, I think it's important to, to note some historical context, right? So after the Civil War and after the end of slavery, the North's I hate calling it development, but development in the traditional way we think of development, right, of varied um, industries and when we look at economic indicators, et cetera, the North uh, prospered much faster than the South. And it was almost an another generation before we saw similar gains in the South that we saw in the North. And people often still worked in agriculture. The diet was, you know, very minimal. There was in some places you know, a lack of access to a variety of nutritional, um, nutritionally adequate foods, etc. And so to paint the Southern diet as the nemesis, I think misses the historical context of the fact that this region has had uneven development. And in addition, it's a vast geographical region. <laughs> and so we still see in some parts of America, and not just in the South, how difficult it can be to access a healthcare provider how far people may have to drive in their cars, right? Hours to access a healthcare provider that can give them the assistance they need for their particular circumstances. And especially when we're talking about a region that has had, you know, economic 
issues, then I think that comes into play. So that's one thing that drives me crazy about these articles, because it doesn't talk about the histories of the regions at all. It doesn't even, and even like the South as a region, that's so broad. Where are we talking about here? Yeah, very broad. <laughs> that's like seven sub-regions. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, it's like a quarter of the country. What are we talking about? So that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that, what is Southern food, right? We have a stereotypical view of Southern food. And what we view to be Southern food, I think is similar to what we view to be soul food, is it's like the heavy celebration foods, you know, the Sunday church spreads, the, um, you know, the deep fried, the salted, the mac and cheese, et cetera. And that is definitely a part of the cuisine. But this is also a region with a, a deep agricultural history where for an extensive part of history, people ate mostly plants seasoned with parts of animal. Um, and right, the original American farm to table movement is it's not in the last 20 years and it's not, it didn't start in Northern California. It started <laughs> in the, in the South, right? That, that I think is something that we don't think about or talk about. And so I just like, I tend to shy away from any view of a region or a cuisine that is really simplistic and what's the word overly simplified and um, reductive. It is reductive. I mean, it is reductive. And how how are we going to talk about a place where millions and millions of people live and just, you know, call it Southern food and that's it? Like there's no other explanation. There's no other exploration even of what that might mean for the peoples who live there and other factors that might affect their health. So I'm looking at the article, the article that I sent Anella in particular, and she's right. There's more than one article. Uh, But this article was posted on CNN Health on July 1st of 2021 in the headline. This is the headline. Too much Southern food can cause a sudden heart attack, but Mediterranean diet reduces risk. Right. So everything that Anella said, I think, is correct. Let's just do a small brief brief recap, a brief recap, if you will. So, number one, there are historical factors, reasons why. We eat the way we eat. That's number one. Number two, there are historic documented reasons why health disparities affect certain regions, uh, certain demographics, certain social income, economic uh, brackets uh, in ways that may not affect other uh, ethnicities or other socioeconomic backgrounds, right? So that's number two. And then number three, and I think this is the most for me, this is the the part that I really want to get out is that it's very, our, our society is very comfortable with shitting on black people, no matter what it is, right? If it's our music, if it's our taste in fashion, if it's how we worship, if it's, if we're worshiping, like whatever it is that black people do, America has no problem vilifying it. You know, Amnella, and I will preach this as long as I'm alive, she wrote a great article. Go to her website, feedthemleet.com, and you can and you can read this blog post that she wrote about black people reclaiming fried chicken. And that's a real thing because fried chicken is a thing that we have been vilified for eating, right? While simultaneously, white-led corporations are making hundreds of millions of dollars off said thing. So CNN is telling us that your diet 
is bad, you will automatically get a heart attack. While people who do not look like us are also making hundreds of millions of dollars off said food that is supposed to cause us a heart attack. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm an equal opportunity discusser of things, whether it be ideologies or what policy or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying, okay, just in case you're listening for the first time, yes, I'm from the South, so I am a little biased. And I'm not saying that eating fried chicken every day is good for you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not subscribing to that. I'm not asking you to subscribe to that. What I am saying is if I ate pasta and meatballs and creamy Alfredo and risotto every single day, I might also be in line to have an heart, a heart attack. If I ate, you know, what we in America consider as Chinese food, if we ate that every single day, of course you'd be in line for having a heart attack. Where is the energy for those other cuisines? That's why I wanted to go back to my part three, which is America's very comfortable with dumping on us because, I mean, and point us out or point me in the right direction if I've missed it. But where's the articles that saying, you know, eating too much Italian food leads to this negative health outcome, eating too much Polish food, Irish food. Right. Where are where's the vilification? Where's the data that suggests that some of these uh, cuisines that are closely related to what we would consider, quote unquote, white or European um, cultures, where are the negative articles about those cuisines? Because, again, the same way that rice turns into sugar, so does pasta and bread. And those are really big parts of the Italian diet. And no, or I'm, again, I haven't seen it. Anello, maybe you've seen it. I haven't seen any articles where it's like eating too much Italian food will cause you to go impotent or whatever, <laughs> whatever the scare is. And that's the thing that I wanted to, you know, that I just wanted to put that in the atmosphere that we see you, right? We see you vilified, vilifying our culture and our cuisine. And we're just at a place right now where we're not having that no more. We're not just about to let y'all talk crazy without there being any dialogue from the other side. I guess that's the way I want to put it. So let's be solution oriented, Anella. We know that history from both uh, a time perspective and a policy perspective is very influential on the health outcomes of black and brown people uh, in this country. And we also know that since black and brown people do not control most mass media, the propensity for these type of articles to be published is going to be high. What is the solution then? Then what, as black and brown people in this country who have delicious cuisines uh, that have been vilified for one reason, uh, until it's not vilified, right? Avocado was fatty until it wasn't fatty anymore. So what can we do going forward? Should we just be ignoring the articles? Should we be actively fighting back? Like, how do you suggest that we, and I define we as both people of color and allies that support black and brown people, what can we be doing to fight against these narratives? Yeah, this is an interesting question because, and I want to make it clear, right? Black people food, brown people food has long been vilified, but also so has like poor white people food. I think that class plays a part in this as well. And 
I don't quite know how to fight back against these very large media organizations, right? We could just not click. What they want is clicks <laughs> that, you know, traffic, ad revenue, all of those things are connected. So you see a headline that just doesn't make sense. Don't click on it. Don't even engage in the, you know, the internet outrage cycle. But then I would also say that on the flip side, right, it's not just about avoiding the negative that for me, at least, it's really important to try to find positive sources of information about this. So I have been excited to read in recent years in major publications. I think there was one in the Times and then maybe one in the Post a couple years ago about how, you know, there's a move in the nutrition movement to provide nutritional guidance to, you know, to people, to your clients as a nutritionist. That's culturally grounded, that's culturally appropriate. And that takes into account the fact that, as you said, KJ, most cuisines have foods we would think of as unhealthy and foods that we would think of as healthy, right? So the good and the bad are contained in every culture's cuisine. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to tell someone to abandon the foods that they grew up eating or to, you know, only eat things that they might not even be familiar with. They may not even know how to cook. So what does that advice do for them if they don't know how to prepare the foods you're telling them are good for their heart or good for their body? So I have been excited to read more about those developments. And so I think those are the pieces we should be sharing and talking about. But also those are the types of providers we should be seeking out. And I know that you, KJ, have talked about that, right? You have you have found someone who has encouraged you to take care of yourself and your health, but in a way that allows you to eat your cultural foods that you grew up eating, which is really important to you. And so, you know, those types of people we should be giving our money to. I know when I'm looking for a doctor, I'm looking for someone who I feel like understands me and my particular background, but that is also a privilege, right? That's something I have the time and resources to kind of shop around. So I understand that not everyone can do that. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to the person that she was speaking of. If you're on Instagram, like I am, and you want to find a Black person who is going to encourage you to eat your Eat your cultural foods in a way that is still honoring our ancestors, but also not putting you at risk for a stroke. Then um, I would suggest you follow the Black Nutritionalist. It's Black Dot Nutritionalist on Instagram. Uh, Dr. Kira and Kara's K E R A. She is spectacular. You know, she teaches you how to eat without guilt, respect your body, and embrace your culture. Her her big thing is it's um. What is it called? Decolon decolonize your plate. That's like her big thing is to decolonize your plate. And I, and I, like I said, like I am a huge fan of what she's doing. I think that kind of work needs to be done because, again, when we think of these formal structures of education, when, even when we talk about medical school and nutrition, these guidelines that have been made were not created with black and brown bodies in mind, right? With Asian bodies in mind, right? They were not created with us in mind. They were created from, from the perspective of the person who you know, had the privilege to create the field and do the research and do the work. And so for them, yeah, maybe some of this stuff might not be best for them. Like for instance, like I remember, you remember Anella when the, um, the ice bucket challenge was a thing 
where people were like raising money and awareness for uh, what was it? Uh, ALS. ALS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. ALS. I remember I was working at a middle school at the time and our principal wanted to do the ice bucket challenge. And I was like, yeah, you should definitely do it. Like, no problem. You know, I'm the kind of person that's like, if you like it, I love it. If it's not hurting anybody else, go for it. And then she was like, uh, or not she, but someone else at, at, at the school was like, hey, KJ, are you going to do it? And I was like, no, I'm not doing the ice bucket challenge. They're like, oh, are you scared? Like, you you know, you don't want to get your precious sneakers wet or whatever the case may be. I was like, no, that's not a black man's disease, bro. Like we, by and large, if you look at the numbers, ALS is not something you see a whole bunch of black men struggling with. Like there are there are health concerns that we have that no one's doing memes about. Like no one's trying to make it cool so we can all help black men with you know prostate cancer or whatever it is that you know really affects black men. So I'm like, I'm not against the ice bucket challenge, but I'm not gonna do it. If I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do something that brings awareness to something that affects me and my people. And I was definitely looked at as a Debbie Downer. I'm sure some of my coworkers thought of me as a uh, racist or militant, which, you know, comes with the territory sometimes. But you know, that I, I say that to say that's how quickly society can get swept up in norms that don't belong or don't speak for everyone else. You were thought of as a bad person if you did not participate in the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Even if the likelihood of anyone in your family getting ALS was slim to none. For instance, where's the ice bucket challenge for sickle cell anemia, right? Sickle cell is something that greatly affects black people way more than it does white people, right? And if black people started doing a sickle cell challenge, how much would, would, would mainstream media fall in line and be like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to pr promote this? They probably wouldn't. Because it's something that doesn't really affect people who lead these uh, multinational or major publications. So anyway, I say all that to say there's as of course, there's always nuance that is needed in these conversations. We just wanted to bring you just a little bit as it relates to Southern food. I guess, Anella, if you wouldn't mind, can you put a bow on this? Can you summarize uh, or, or, or create a moral of the story for this episode? And then let the people know where they can find us if they want to hear more about this stuff outside of the podcast setting. So let me wrap this up. There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack here. But KJ, you know, I have to comment on the ice bucket challenge thing because Ooh, I do it. Do it. You know, I don't agree with you necessarily in this case. I'm like, I would have done the ice bucket challenge, but then be like, all right, but we got to talk about sickle cell. <laughs> And that, I mean, that's just my approach is that there has to be room for all of us. There has to be room for nuance and the diversity of issues that peoples around America and the world face. Um, but I totally understand you being like, hey, by the way, you know, I, I respect this social movement. I think it's important. But just an FYI, like this is an Internet trend that I, I know is raising money and that's great. But, um, you know, who gets to decide what trend is worthy of our time and attention? Exactly. Um, who gets to decide, you know, who we give our money and our resources to. So that's an important point. But if you 
want to learn more about this, we'll put the article we're talking about in the show notes. um, And I will put one of the good examples (laughs) of the articles I've read about this topic, at least good, I think it's good, in the show notes so you can get an idea. And you can always find me and KJ online. I'm at Feed the Malik. He's at Black Food Fridays. Come hang out with us on all platforms. Slide in our DMs. Chat with us. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. You were able to sit down with us, take from our offerings, and fix yourself a plate. This has been the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. And, of course, please leave us a rating and a review. We have, I think, well over 50 and we're a new podcast and we're trying to grow and it helps people find us and it's free for you. So go ahead and do that for us and we will talk to you next time. Don't be a hater.